If you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight. I'm not going to tell you where to start because I don't really know. We're going to be flipping all through. Nathan wanted to give me that handheld, and I said, Nathan, that, I just can't flip through a Bible and hold that handheld Mac. He says I get too loud with this, and it starts popping. So if I start popping, y'all say, quiet, preacher, okay? So, um, but we will look at Second uh, Timothy. We're going to be going all the way back from Genesis all the way to the end of most of the New Testament. It's good to have heard this morning to have my parents here with us. They flew in from the north. They don't hear that often because they're from the south, but they flew in from the north to visit with us, and uh, it's good to have them with me And uh, for uh, two weeks, maybe three weeks, and I don't know how long we'll let them stay. I may have to send them to you. That'll be all right. That'll be fine. Okay. But the one thing I do is, it's already 30 minutes. My parents, they grew up in Pentecostal churches and been Pentecostal all their life. So, you know, Pentecostal church, you can stay for three hours and nobody says anything, okay? But now they've been converted. They are Baptists now. Not only are they Baptist, they're first Baptist. I mean, it's one thing to be Collins Avenue Baptist, but when you're first Baptist of Nassau, that's being interpreted one hour and you're done, preacher, Okay. So they were a little uncomfortable this morning. You know, we got a little past the hour. So I got to keep it to an hour. So I got to get busy with it this morning, this evening. So uh, just bear with them. If they get a little antsy, that's, you know, they've been converted now. All right. Oftentimes we as uh, preachers, we um, or preachers in general, we give the impression that the coming of Jesus Christ is something to be afraid of. If we uh, talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's something we should get scared about. You know, we may say something and like this. I want to warn you that Jesus is coming. Oh, no. You know, what does that mean? That's time to get scared. Jesus is coming. Time to be afraid. Jesus is coming. But we often give this impression that it's something not to be excited about. It's something to be scared about. It's something that we ought to be intimidated about. The second coming of Jesus Christ. I, um, I don't travel that much, but once a year I'll, I'll take a trip to, uh, to do work. I go to uh, Las Vegas, and uh, I, I don't really enjoy doing it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be like my presidential friend and put down Las Vegas, but I will tell you it is not my cup of tea, but it's a nice place to visit. But the thing about it is I, it takes two days to travel, so I usually leave on a Monday, and uh, so by the time you get out there, it's, you know, uh, it's afternoon time. And then I'll work all day and, I'll, you know, most of the evening times on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then by Thursday, I will get on an early flight, 6 o'clock, which is 9 o'clock Eastern time, and I'll begin my journey back home. And Brother Anthon, when you've been away from your family and your little ones, by the way, we have in the process of adding number four to our family. You wonder why my wife is not here tonight. We are in the process of adopting the third one. And uh, so I, I don't even know their names. I just name, number them, one, two, three, four. So um, that is why she is not here tonight, because she is home with our soon-to-be-adopted child. He's four weeks old at this time. But the joy that I look forward to from getting out of, quote, Sin City and getting home to my family, and getting home to my home bed, even though I get nice hotels, and uh, stay in a nice place, and I am appreciative that I can do that, and you know, and I, I, um, I, I enjoy myself while I'm there, but 
I'm always glad to get home. And no greater joy that I have when you open that door and they say, Daddy's home. You know, that's not, I'm glad to see Daddy. I want to see Daddy's bags, you know. I want to see what Daddy brought me in the bags. But I take it as, boy, the joy that I hear Daddy's home and uh, to see the excitement upon my family's face, but not only theirs, but the joy I am, the glad to be home. Not that glad Daddy's glad to, to, that they's glad to see me, but I am so glad to see my children and my wife after four days of being away. Well, if you take that excitement and that joy that I experience from seeing my children after four days and seeing my dear wife after four days, and if you were to magnify that times 10,000, times 100,000, times a million, you would begin to experience the joy that we will feel when we see Jesus, as he said in that song tonight, open the eastern skies. That is the excitement that we will feel when we see Jesus as he returns to this earth. Many songwriters have, have tried to magnify this, and I think one of the greatest that has done is Sandy Patty sings, We Shall Behold Him. And I mean, she tries to get the feeling that you will feel as um, if Jesus were splitting the skies and returning to, to this earth to rapture his people up. The second coming of Jesus Christ. So tonight, I don't want to just warn you. There is going to be some warnings, some things that we have to look at. But I want to assure you, and I want you to be excited about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And the fact that he is coming back soon and very soon. It's not going to be long. I've been hearing that all of my life. I've talked to my dad. He said, I had, I've been hearing it all my life. He's 75, by the way. So that's been a long time he's been hearing it. But we've been hearing this, that Jesus is coming soon. And um, there's going to be an excitement within us. And the child of God ought to be the most excited to know not to be afraid, but ought to be excited and overfilled with joy to know that any moment now that Jesus will come and take his people aback. So tonight we want to warn you. I want you to be expecting. I want you to be looking. And I want you to be excited about the coming of Jesus Christ. For the fact is that the church has a unique privilege today of living in the days where the prophetic future, as we're going to see, is very rapidly becoming the present. Almost 2,000 years ago, the hourglass was turned over, and it has been going for almost 2,000 years, but the hourglass is just about run out. Any day now, Jesus will come and rapture his church. So tonight, I want you to look with me to the scriptures tonight. As we look to the second coming of Jesus Christ, and this is not going to be a prophetic sermon. This is not going to be a study in the end times. I will leave that to those who have studied, who have done that, and have done a wonderful job at the second coming. I'm not qualified to do that. I enjoy listening to it, but I have not really gotten into studying about it. But I wanted to give you three things that you can look at in the last days. And, the, and we're going to look at three scriptures, uh, several scriptures, but three points tonight that will show us that we are living in the last days. Number one, in the last days, it says that spiritual rebellion will come. Spiritual rebellion will come. In other words, in the last days, 
is a time for us to beware. Second Timothy chapter three. Excuse me, let's back up. Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. I want you to look at verse number 21. Pastor Lee spoke of this morning about that word, but, that transition word. And I want you to look at tonight what God is talking, what Paul was talking about as he was speaking to his son Timothy in the faith. And he was speaking about godliness. Then he's going to throw that change of direction, that but in there. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 24. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents in gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Chapter 3, you see that word. But we're fixing a change directions. We're going from godliness to godlessness. But indicates this change of direction. He said, but understand this, that when? In the last days. Say it with me. In the last days. But understand this, that in the last days, in the last days, Paul is speaking about the ones which began with the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth. In the last days. Since that time, we've been living in the last days. There will come times of difficulty. Now, some scriptures that you have may say there'll be perilous times. There'll be times of grievous. One translation I say, read said there will be violent times. In the last days, there will be times of violence. For people will be, listen to these attributes, they'll be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. They will be proud. And they will be arrogant. They will be abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents. My brother's not here, so I won't talk about him, okay? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at number, verse number five. And having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Look at that again. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, avoid such people as these. But you see, this wasn't just something that happened and it begun in Paul's days. Paul wasn't just seeing this in his time. We go all the way back to the Old Testament. And you will see that, that this was not a new problem to God's people. Jeremiah chapter 14 says, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although that I did not send them, and who say, Swords, Sword and famine shall not come upon this land, but sword and famine, these, those prophets shall be consumed. This is something false prophets, people who 
have uh, had the appearance of godliness, but have been denying his power all along. These false prophets have something that has been around since the beginning of time. Well, you may say, I could agree with uh, uh, Matthew. And it says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's true. There's a lot of truth in there. But there's not to say that we won't have false prophets. But Paul says, in the last days, and we're all in agreement that we are living in the last days, that there will be false prophets. And there will be men out there and uh, that will be sweeping our land trying to influence people. He did not promise his people that he would be free from spiritual danger and harm. Much to the contrary. For you remember Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, as he went to the Sermon on the Mount, he said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheets closing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So this is something that Jesus knew about. There are false prophets all among us that come in and they give this appearance of godliness. But they're not godly. But Paul says, in the last days, beware of these things. But also, listen, we have moral, moral rebellion. And Pastor Lee spoke about this some this morning. We have rebellion, educational rebellion. We have human rights rebellion. But, is, but an intrinsic part of the spiritual rebellion, he mentioned that this morning, it's all a spiritual rebellion that flow out of these rebellions that God has placed before us. By rejecting God's rules, they're rejecting all other rules. America, I haven't studied the history of the Bahamas probably like I should. My teacher here may can give us some insight. But I know in America, the motto of America is in God we trust. In God we trust. A, a term that was taken back to the Civil War days because of its religious influence upon the people. In God, we trust. In 1956, July 30th, coming up just the birthday in just a few days, July 30th, 1956, President Dwight D. Eisenhower put it into legislation that in God we trust would be the official motto of the United States of America. But in that time, since we've said that this is America's motto, that we will trust in God, there has become this group of people who says, because you say I have to trust in God, I rebel against it. Because you say this is the rules, because this is our mottos, we'll rebel against it. I read that said 90% of Americans still agree that in God we trust should be on the, on the bills and the coins of the U.S., but 10% are calling the shots. 10% are trying to get it out and say separation of church and state that we need to take in God we trust off of, the pay, off of the money. But Paul warns us, and he says, in essence, you haven't seen anything yet. For in the last days, every law, every disciplinary action is going to come under attack. We're seeing assaults in our court systems. We are seeing assaults in our governments. We are seeing assaults against the police. We are seeing assaults on the flags of the United States. We are seeing assaults on the judicial system. If a, 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 a judge Moore, several years ago, who refused to take the Ten Commandments out of his, out of his um, uh, forum, uh, the forum of his uh, courthouse, 
Because of this, the courts came and abolished him. Had to get it out. There's a coming an attack upon our jail system. There's a coming attack upon anything that tells man that there are some things that they cannot do. And when you tell man there's some things you cannot do, he is going to bring it under attack. And he's going to say, you say I can't do it, I'm going to do it. Read it here. Paul says people will be arrogant. Arrogant people. People are going to go out there and say, you tell me I can't do it, you watch me. I'll do whatever I want to do. Arrogant people. Proud people in the last days. But all of this is a basic symptom of man's rebellion against God. It's not going to, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's not, you can't tell me what to do. It all goes back to, in the last days, people rebel against God. Lawlessness, lawlessness will abound. It will increase our obsession to legalize gay marriages. It's already taken effect in the United States of America. Some states are already allowing gay marriages. Why? Because a small group says, you can't tell me what to do. I can marry my same-sex partner, and I will do it. You can't tell me what to do. Why? Because in the last days, Paul says, you will see these things begin to happen. Beware. In the last days, you will see the increase of abortion rights, where these women can, can get, uh, get their uh, uh, abortions through the first, second, third trimester, whatever it may be. Their rights are, I can do as you heard Pastor Lee spoke this morning. It's my body. I can do with it. It's all about a rebellion against God. We will have an increase in the accession of legalized drugs. We're already seeing that in America, where people are already given license to go in, in certain states and smoke marijuana and do legalized drugs and hand it out to other people. Why? Because the law says you cannot do it. You don't tell me I can do it. I'll do what I want to do. All because we're living in the last days. Or as they want to put it, as they want to summarize it, I have the freedom of choice. It's my right. I can do what I want to do. It's nothing to do with freedom of choice. It is all a rebellion against God. So in the last days, Paul says, beware, take heed, that in the last days you will see these perilous times, these vicious times, and these violent times come to pass. So beware, number one. The second thing is to be working. Number two, in the last days, the Holy Spirit will begin to move like it's never moved before. You remember some time ago I shared with you Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. The Holy Spirit has begin, been there since the beginning. In the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And what does it say? And the Spirit of God was hovering. Remember I said it was interpreted just fluttering? Like a bird, the Spirit of God was fluttering. It hadn't rested yet, but it was just fluttering upon the earth. And it was just fluttering, as it says, over the face of the waters. But in the Old Testament, we see that the Spirit of God in the days that it moved upon an individual here and an individual over there. Like a bolt of lightning, one did not know where it was coming from. We've seen it in Samson. We've seen it in Saul. We saw it in Isaiah. We've seen it in Samuel before. 
If you were to look at Judges chapter 13, and it said, And a woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. It hadn't rested, but the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in the Old Testament. And then in Joel chapter 2, look with me to Joel chapter 2. We see the Spirit of God hovering as it is going across the world and across the universe. The Spirit of God is hovering. But Joel gives a prophecy in chapter 2, verse number 28. And he said, and it will come to pass afterwards, prophecy, you will see this later, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, not upon an individual here, an individual there, but I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and the female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is prophecy. This is something that's happening at the time. Joel is saying, you will see this later. Afterwards, you will see this. But he also, we see that Matthew chapter 3, go with me very quickly. We're going to flip through several scriptures. That in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist announced the coming of a new dispensation. He announced the day of a new age and of a new grace. And he says in John, Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11, he says, I, John the Baptist, baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse number 13, jump down. Then the Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. I do not come to me, but Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, listen to this, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened in him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, the dove, the emblem of the Holy Spirit, and came and rested on Jesus. That Spirit of God that was fluttering out there all throughout those thousands of years has now opened up, and the Spirit of God has come and rested like a dove upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew that his days were short, that he would just be here for a few years. So he says in the latter part of Luke, it also says it in John, but in the, in the latter part of Luke, chapter 16, Jesus, in his preparation of his crucifixion, says in John, sorry, I'm in Luke. John chapter 16, verse number 5. But now, Jesus is speaking, I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is not your advantage that I go away. Kind of a strange statement, isn't it? It's not your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the helper, to you. But this is what the Holy Spirit is to do 
when Jesus goes away and when he comes to his people. This is what he's to do in verse number 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. For when the Spirit of truth comes, He, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all the truth. For He, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He, the Holy Spirit, hears, He, the Holy Spirit, will speak. And He, the Holy Spirit, will declare to you the things that are to come. For He, the Holy Spirit, will, clarify, will glorify me. For He, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. For all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that He, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and He will declare it to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that rested upon His shoulder. When He left, He says, I will send the Comforter and He will come. And he will do all of these things that we just mentioned. Now go with me one other place. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I know Pentecostal preacher preaching at Acts chapter 2. Hang on there, okay? Acts chapter 2. Peter, Simon Peter, is standing there preparing his sermon with the eleven. And he says this marvel, speaks about this marvelous outpouring. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed to them. Verse number 14, sorry. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. People that drink don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Remember these words? And in the last days, now Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterwards. You shall see this later on. Well, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Joel was speaking about. Joel says, and it will come to pass. Paul says, and in the last days, it shall be that God declares that what? That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Do you see it again? In the last days that we are living and alive in the midst of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, not because I said it, but because the Word of God says it, we are living in the last days, and God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 as the 120 gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 4 amongst the whole church. In Acts chapter 6, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those laymen who were set aside and ordained as deacons. In Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the half-bred Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the Gentiles. In the household of Cornelius, in Acts chapter 19, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the pagan city of Ephesus. But ultimately, the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. Not upon an individual here and an individual there. But He says, upon all flesh will I pour out my Spirit. 
The promise outpouring in the Spirit, my friend, reflects the whole biblical message that there is a great day a-coming, that we are living in the last days, and because the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon all flesh, because God is blessing all His people, it, with it is this fact that we are living in the last days. You see, this is the Holy Spirit isn't something that was just made up late, uh, later in life. You see, the divine government under which we live has set all of the dates that govern the redemption course of history. If you were to look in Daniel chapter 9, you will see the time for the incarnation of Jesus Christ was set forth. In Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, the place that Jesus was born was spoken about in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, the manner of his birth would be poured out in Isaiah and his prophecy. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 21, we see that the time and the sacrifice, how the sacrifice of Christ would be carried out. In Isaiah 53, the way that Jesus Christ was to die was poured out thousands of years before in the book of Isaiah. In Genesis chapter 14, verse number 18, we read of the communion elements that had even taken place that, that was the later to come as Jesus was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. But it was spoken about in Genesis chapter 14. In Leviticus chapter 23, the date for the resurrection of Jesus Christ was poured out in the Old Testament and was spelled out for us. In Matthew chapter 24, verse number 36, the date for the return of Christ is etched in stone. We don't know the hour or the time, but the God knows, and he has already had it planned out. But we also see in Joel chapter 2 and verses number 28 through 32 that the coming of the Holy Spirit was planned by God and prophecy was seen forth as the 120 were gathered in the upper room. And God and Paul says, and, and he will pour out all spirit. Joel prophesied that all spirit will be poured out upon, upon all flesh. My friend, my point is this. Pentecost was no accident. The 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, was not something of an accident. It was etched in stone thousands of years before it ever happened. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a fulfillment of the word of the Lord through his prophet Joel. And the outpouring was at a time chosen by God even before the foundation of the word. Friends, I'm not talking about some charismatic hoopla. I'm not talking about some charismatic jibber-jabber. I'm talking about an infilling of the Holy Spirit where we as children of God are being fed, fed the Holy Spirit for a purpose to do that we can go out and, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was no accident. It was for you and it was for everyone that accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you say amen? Don't make any mistake about it. It was for you because it was planned thousands of years before. In the last days, there will be a revival like no man could ever fathom. There will be souls saved like no man has ever known. There will be this outpouring as people, as it said back in, in, in uh, uh, what was it, John? Or, uh, yeah, John, where he says, when the helper comes, he will convict men of their sins. Men will come to a repenting time as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. And as it is being poured out now, my question and my challenge to you tonight is, is it happening here in Bahama land? Is it happening in our native country? Is it happening in the United States of America? 
Are the altars being filled up as the Holy Spirit convicts people in this service and in other services in this community and in this nation tonight? Are people becoming to the throne of grace to say the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? I want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the challenge to you. But we're going to see in just a moment that it's your job to allow the, your, yourself to be used of the Holy Spirit. Go back with me to Acts chapter 2. Look at it again. And in the last days, it says, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Lindsay, you still dreaming? I mean, you still seeing visions? It's not a matter if you're young or old, folks. It's already allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Are you seeing visions? Are you dreaming dreams? Are you just content? Woe to the church when the young men shall see no visions. Woe to the church when the old men shall dream no dreams. When the people are just dull. When the people are ox-like. When the people are uninspired, when the people are just saying, I'm content with church, let's just have church and let's just go on about our business. Are we content with, with the Iwana group tonight? Are we content with the choir tonight? Are we content with the Sunday school program? And I think this church has one of the finest Sunday school programs in this islands. Are we content with it to say, it's good enough. We got enough to get by. Are we content with the musicians that we have tonight? Or do we have dreams and visions to glorify God, to have a better, a better youth group? Are we having visions and dreams to have a better choir? Are we having visions and dreams to have a better Sunday school program? Are we having visions and dreams to have a better, better Christian counseling center? Are we having visions and dreams for Calvary Bible Church that God's Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh? Are we saying, I'm just content with what I have? I believe, my friend, that the best choir is yet to be assembled here at Calvary Bible Church. I believe that the best youth group is yet to be assembled here at Calvary Bible Church. I believe that the best Sunday school program is yet to be seen here at Calvary Bible Church. My friend, the, the things that we think that we're content with, God says it's not good enough. You should allow the Holy Spirit to be used in you and allow the Holy Spirit to give you visions and dreams that you can build a better church and a better community that souls will be swung to the glory of God. We do not glorify God in defeatism. We do not glorify God by the evidence of empty chairs. And there's many churches around here that they just have in church to say, we have a name above our door, but they have empty chairs inside. God is not glorified. God is not glorified with apologetic sermons. We do not glorify God when our streets are filled tonight with forgotten, lost, neglected children living in the circle of pagan and heathen homes. But my friend, I tell you tonight that Calvary Bible Church needs to sound the trumpet, the power of the Spirit that Peter preached about three to over 2,000 years ago as that Spirit of God was poured out and 3,000 were saved for the glory of God and 5,000 were added to the church. That was just the beginning of Pentecost. That was just a little end of the big horn. God is pouring out His Spirit and He has bigger and better things for the child of God. And if we would just listen to Him and allow 
allow the Spirit of God to dwell in our lives, then the God will bless His people and people will come to a saving and repentance grace of Jesus Christ. 3,000. That wasn't the beginning. That was, I'm sorry, that was just the beginning. That wasn't the climax of salvation. That was just the beginning. But I believe that God is ready to sound the trumpet. The question is, who will do it? Verse number 18. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You see, for in the caste system and in the civilization and the culture of the Greco-Roman Empire, the slave was at the very bottom of the social status. He had to look up to see bottom. They were at the bottom of the social status. But at the first, Christian church was largely made up of slaves. We think it's going to be Pastor Fowler who's going to allow the Spirit to be poured out upon him. But this, even, this says even my male servants. We think it's the, the great Martin Luther King is going to come back and he's going to be the one that's going to spread the gospel. And 3,000 are going to come to repentance of Jesus Christ. We think it's the great next great evangelist that's going to sweep our country. The next great Billy Graham. But the Bible says, my male servants and my female servants, my male slaves and my female slaves, those are the ones that I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. It's not the big name evangelist. It's my male servants, my female servants. It's the Sunday school teachers. It's the nursery workers. It's the janitors. It's all of those things that we think are menial jobs within the family of God. No, those are the ones that Paul says, that Joel prophesied, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm not here tonight to be some time of big time preacher. But Clay, I'm not here to dress in a $2,000 suit. I'm not here to wear alligator stack, uh, uh, skin shoes. I always wanted some ostrich skin boots, though. But I'm not here to have alligator skin shoes. I'm not here to come to the airport. Saw this the other day at the airport. The preacher, I've seen him on TV. He came in from the airport. All of a sudden, the BMW zoom, zipped up right in front of him. The door was opened up real quick. The preacher was rushed in, and he was swept away. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for, my friend, I am looking to be a slave for Jesus Christ. I don't want money. I don't want fame. I don't want fortune. I want soul saved for the kingdom of God. And God says, I will pour out my spirit upon the male slave, that one that says, I am nothing without Christ. That's who I will pour out my spirit upon. In the last days, we are living in the last days. Finally, in the last days, the Word of God says, look up. We're to beware. We're to be working. But we're also to be looking. Turn back with me, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Verse number 25. And there will be signs, Jesus is speaking, and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves and people fainting with fear and with foreboding for 
of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when you see these things, you began to take place. My version says, straighten up. Some of yours may say, look up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. What is Luke saying here tonight? He's saying, even when things begin to look bad, Jesus says, don't let it get you down, but look up. Whenever the oil spill spills 90,000 million, 90 million gallons of oil into an ocean, he says, don't let that get you down. Look up. When the economy takes a dive like we've never seen before, the word of Jesus says, don't let that get you down, but look up. When tornadoes have swept through the United States this year, and have destroyed millions of dollars and million, billions of dollars and families' homes and families' livelihoods, and it seems like they had no hope. Jesus says, don't let it get you down, but look up. When the earthquakes have swept our neighboring country islands over here to the east and devastated, I talked with Brother Willie the other day. He said it hadn't gotten much better. The funds and the aid that it was supposed to be coming in has not come in, has not come in. and people are still living in tents, by the millions are still over there. When it seems like your whole life is without hope, Jesus says, don't let it get you down, but look up. And you never know, this may be the year that that great hurricane could sweep through this island and destroy and be, give us all gloomy and despair upon economies and upon the other failures that we seem to have in our life. But Jesus says, don't let these things get down. For because when things began to look downward... He says, that is a sign that my coming is near. So don't look down. When we get upset, we want to walk around. As my granddad would say, we'd have the mully grubs. We want to walk down with our heads down and have the mully grubs. And we want to pout about everything. But Jesus says, don't look down. Look up. Because when it seems like everything is against you, that is when I'm coming. And that's when I'm going to split the eastern skies. And that's when I'm going to come back to gather my people in the second coming. So be looking. Now, oftentimes, I would want to really want to preach here, but I remind you, I got my Baptist friend, so I got to be careful, okay? But I want to allow the Scripture to speak the rest of this message with me. So flip with me real quick. Acts chapter 1, three verses of Scripture. I want three, three portions of Scripture I want you to read with me. And I want you to feel, and I want you to be excited, and I want you to be looking for that second coming of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. And when he had said, excuse me, verse number 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That same way that Jesus was lifted up. He said, when things began to look downward, you look up because he's coming back the same way. John chapter 14, verse number 1. John 14, verse number 1. Jesus says these words. I love this. Let not your hearts be troubled 
Believe in God, believe also in me, for in my house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And listen to these. Listen to how many eyes he says here. That I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that there where I am may you be also. And you will know the way to where I am going. You know, I'd have been just as happy. You know, if he'd have, Brother Jerry sent Paul back. I like Paul. The Apostle Paul, you know, if he would have said, Paul, you know, go rapture my people, I would have been just as happy. You Old Testament people, you, well, David, come back strumming his heart. You know, I would have been just as happy if Jesus would, God would have said, send David back and rapture my people. But what did he say? I'm going to send Jesus. I go to prepare a place. And if I go, I will bring my people back. Folks, that's something to be excited about, to know that nobody else but the King of kings and the Lord of lords will lift these roofs off, and he will come back, and he says, now it's time. It's time to be brought back. Folks, if that were heaven enough for me, that would be enough. Last scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I've read this so many a times. must say it's been at most funerals, but it gets me excited tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. He says, but do not, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep. We all have those that have gone home before us. We have loved ones that you may not grieve as others do not have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this, this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, hallelujah, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of the command and with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up to gather. There's some good gospel songs out there, but there's a lot of gospel songs that have bad theology. One of my favorite writers says, if you get there before I do, no. Paul says, we will be called up to gather with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, always be with the Lord. And some reason he had to throw this in there. Comfort one another. I don't have to be told to be comforted at this point. I'm comforted already to know that I will be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can't you see why I'm excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Can't you see why I got goosebumps as Brother Anton sang those songs tonight? Because I am excited. I am ready for the coming of Jesus Christ for no other reason because I will be with my Savior forever and forever. But the first thing I have to do is beware. I also have to be working and working and working and allow the Holy Spirit to be used, to be used of the Holy Spirit. And when I do those things, I can be looking for Jesus. That's why I'm excited about the, child, about the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
I do throw this in with you. Second Thessalonians. I think I said that was my last verse. One more. These are the ones who should be worried about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 7. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire and inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. He just told us we have a chance. We can be caught up together with the Lord forever. But this one says we could be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. My friend, those are the ones who have to be worried about the second coming. So if you're in that category tonight, I tell you, be warned. You're trying to scare me, preacher? You doggone right I'm trying to scare you because if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you better beware because that was what the Scriptures say. You will have Jesus no more. That would be like Zacchaeus as he was up in that tree. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go to your house for tea. And Zacchaeus says, no. Not going. Not going to have any part of it. Lock the door. Folks, that's the ones who have to be aware of the second coming of Jesus Christ. People who need to worry about Jesus coming are those who have locked the door of His coming. A Christ who wants to come and make you ready. But in the meantime, for those that have believed in Jesus Christ and have accepted Him, Jesus says, even though things get rough, be looking because my imminent is coming. One of my favorite preachers, Brother Walter L. Pearson, tells a famous story. He says some years ago his grandmother called him and says, I need you to come down and see me. He says, I'm not doing well. I need you to come help me, cook me some food, take care of me for a few days. So he agreed to do it. So he called his uncle. He says, how do I get to grandma's house? He says, well, you take a four-lane road for a little while. Then you take a two-lane road for a little while. Then you'll see a, a dirt road. Did you go down that dirt road? And he said, all of a sudden, that dirt road will get a little smaller. And he said, just before you get to grandma's house, says the only thing that you have is two little roads where the tractor had made a road. So that's all it'll be. But I grew up in the country, and I know these little two-lane roads that the grass in the middle is as high as your car. The bushes on each side are coming in. And he had him a brand-new car. And he said he began all right on the four-lane road, all right, all right on the two-lane road, got to the dirt road. I, our, our, my house, used to, we used to live on a dirt road. And, boy, when, when it rained... And you get Georgia clay and rain, you got a mess. But we had that two-lane road, and go down the two-lane road, he was all right. Even when he got to the, to the farm, and he began to go down the, the little smaller dirt road. But he said when he got to the tri tractor tire tracks, he said all of a sudden, that big old Buick, 
And he said all he could think about was his wife next to him saying, I'm making payments on these cars too. Do, 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 do. But he said the only thing that gave him hope, he said he knew that the rougher the ride, the closer he was to Grandma. Folks, the rougher things get, the harder things get here on this earth, the closer we are to the coming of Jesus. Are you excited? Are you assured? Are you looking? Are you working? Are you warned tonight that people will come and try to feed you false doctrine tonight as the road gets rougher and rougher? Men are going to try to do these things, but Paul says, beware. Be working, but be looking, because my imminent is any day now. Can you say amen? Amen. Father, again, we thank you for this time that we've had to open your word. I stand here tonight not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, by the spirit of God, to share this word with this congregation tonight. I thank you for their ears that were open. They're attentive in us to be expecting and looking and excited about the coming of Jesus Christ. And folks, as we said, we shall behold him. We have placed our faith in you, Lord. We are looking and expecting and excited that when you come again, we will be with you forever and forever and forever. But, Father, in the meantime, I ask that you make each and every vessel a slave, a servant, to be used of the Holy Spirit tonight so that they can go and share this gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that needs it through all out this land. Oh, I want to see you. Look upon your face there to be forever with this saving grace. Father, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, prepare me to do your work. For in your name we pray, Lord, be with these people as they go about their ways and bring us back at the next appointed time. In your name we pray. And everyone says, amen and amen. God bless you. I thank you for being here and for sharing with us tonight.